I wanted to introduce my friends, my new friends, Misty and Jim, and um, let you guys know that, give you one more warning. The words are sex, in case you didn't know what Chris was talking about. I just have a little story that 20 years ago, I um, was charged with having a marriage series with Garrett, and I had to say that word, and I giggled the whole time. And I said to myself, I'm clearly not mature enough to be a pastor here. But 20 years later, after having a little more uh, experience, I um, am more comfortable with it. Guys, we have to talk about difficult subjects. We are the church. We have not done it well. Um, I personally, in a moment of confession, has said things that are really, really stupid and unhelpful in this area. And so this is, the, this is the time that I want to say, when I met Misty and Jim, I thought, they have a story to tell that's hope-filled and um, helpful. And, and I'll just say, quite honestly, that when uh, messages are not helpful, it's usually women that end up having to bear the brunt of it. And, and that's not to say that women also don't struggle in this area. We are seeing that way more, especially with social media and internet and all that kind of stuff. But it is to say that the objectification of the body and all the things that go along with some of the things that they're going to be talking about, we pay a price as a church for this. And so if we can't get our heads wrapped around this, then who can? If we can't understand intimacy, we talked about that with our attachment course this morning, then how can we help a world who needs Jesus. So, have ears to hear and eyes to see, and um, welcome our friends, Misty and Jim. Thank you. Their story. Could you hand me that? All right. Can everyone hear me okay? All right. Thank you so much for having us. I, I'm going to be honest, I'm feeling really imposter syndrome-ish. And if you don't know what that is, that's just, you know, when you feel like, how could God use me? Who am I? And so I, I have a degree in education and I learned the power stance. <laughs> so it's gonna help me if I stand sometimes just to kind of get my nerves to calm down and for me to settle. Um, but we are just so grateful to be here today. Um, this is our first public group uh, to speak to. We have been public with our story and uh, it's cost us. Um, and I'm, I'm looking out and I'm, I'm trying not to cry already because I see our, we have, we've lost loved ones because of going public with our story. So it's really precious to me to see our family, our family that God, we lost some, but God has given us a new family. And that's what he's all about doing is doing a new thing in our lives. And that's what Jim and I are here to tell you about today. And that's why we are proud of our story. We're not proud of what happened to get us here, but we are here to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, there's gospel in porn. They think they have a good news too. President Biden has his own set of gospel, but the gospel that we are bringing to you today is the gospel of Shalom. You cannot find that in the gospel of porn or the gospel of money or the gospel of success, whatever it is. We are here to tell you that you can find and experience peace, that it is possible. It is possible. 
Now with that, this is our disclaimer. We have not arrived. I do not want you to look at us and think, oh, this is what we want to mold our lives after because we are a hot mess. All right, we, we are five and a half years into recovery and I say we, and you're gonna understand that why in a little bit of why it's a, an inclusive, a, a we a, a pronoun instead of him and her, but we'll get into that later. But we are here because we want to, we don't want us to sway you or coerce you or have a power struggle. We are here to simply share our story and vulnerability and we hope to shed the shame and share hope. That is why we're here. Now, I do wanna let you know, if you have a history of sex abuse or sexual trauma, this may trigger you today. And I want you to hear me say, I know triggers. I know what that does in my body. I know how it makes me feel. I know how I spiral. Sometimes it can last an hour to two weeks. And if you feel triggered today, just give yourself permission now to one, recognize it, and then two, when you go home today, maybe do some self-care. Take a nap, go on a nature walk, get alone with God, but give yourself that permission because you're worthy of it. All right, now, to give you a full picture of just who we are as individuals, I don't have time to tell you all of our hobbies, blah, blah, blah. So I thought, you know what? A picture's worth a thousand words. And I heard that this church is studying the Enneagrams Yes? Okay. So who in here, I'm curious, knows that you're an Enneagram one? Okay. So ones, you will be able to relate to this guy. All right? You probably can already tell who the seven is. Right? Who are my sevens? Yeah! We are fun, right? Um, but something that sevens don't like is feeling pain. We try to avoid it. We're just always looking for the next adventure, the next high. We're like, what's next? What's next? I'm always planning the next trip. It drives them crazy, right? Um, but if a picture is worth a thousand words for you to really know our personalities, and then we can move on to what our topic is today. Could you pull up that slide for us, that picture that just really, like, in one picture just shows our personality traits? Let's see. Oh, he oh, had he it up did. behind oh. me. I didn't there see it. it. Okay, oh, yeah. there it is. All right. Yeah, I'm totally the guy in the crazy outfit and smoking a cigar and, you know. Um, I don't smoke, but, uh, but I like to break rules. I don't like to be put in a box. So, um, all right. So I would like to introduce my husband to you. He's also my best friend. But I would tell you at one time he was my worst enemy. But he's not anymore because God is amazing, and he's alive, and he's active, and so, all right, go ahead. All right, well, um, kind of the main reason that we're here right now is uh, back in 2017, I had an affair, and um, that affair was kind of a progression of a 20-plus year porn addiction, and um, so after I had the affair, God pursued my heart, um, Amazing. I mean, he's pursued my heart, I think, for most, pretty much my whole life. However, after that moment, it was taken to a, it, exponential. It was exponentially more. Um, so at that point, I got to the point where I just couldn't keep living. Like, I couldn't keep living that way because it was that intense. And so I, um, I gave myself... I, 
gave my life over to Jesus at that point. Um, and as a result, I knew that I had to tell Misty um, not only of the affair, but just everything, the, the pornography addiction and everything. Okay, now with Jim's permission, I do want to tell you that Jim um, not only is an Enneagram 1, but he does have some diagnoses. He has severe social anxiety um, and, so, uh, and also auditory processing disorder. And as a teacher, um, I've learned, oh, a great way to combat that when there's public speaking is to do more of a guided questioning. So our format will be, I'll just ask him questions, but if you hear me even feeding him language, or it's because I know him, and as his azer conegdo, have you studied that word? That you are an ally, you're a helper to your husband, right? And vice versa. So that's how this format will look. So I forgot to say that there at the beginning. So um, I have some questions. Okay. Okay. Right. <laughs> um, uh, so could you explain the experience of your surrendering your life to Christ? Okay. So let's set the setting. It's 2017 and it's Easter weekend. All right. Um, and let, maybe I should start with my piece of it. Okay. Um, and so on Good Friday, I woke up at like 2 a.m., and, and you guys, we, were, we grew up in fundamentalism, like independent Baptist church. So I am not a charismatic, well, I am now. I did not grow up that way. Um, and so I woke up and felt this huge urgency to, it was like the Holy Spirit was saying, you need to go around your house and pray against evil in your home. And I had never, never had that in my head before or whatever. So I did. And because I'm a tactile person, I grabbed some frankincense oil, not because there's power in the oil, but I needed something to represent the blood of Christ over my home. And so I, I remember starting in the basement and worked all the way up the last room that I went into, and everyone was asleep. The last room was our, our master bedroom. And I felt just this little thought in my head to say, drop it on the edge of your bed. So I'm literally seeing Jim sleeping. And I dropped a couple oils down by his feet and I just prayed against evil. I did not know what I was praying against, just, just that general evil. And I went back to bed, slept like a baby, never thought of it again. And now let's fast forward eight hours later to Jim was cleaning the garage in our home, springtime, right? Getting all the spiders and the cockroaches that acquire in your garage over winter. And what happened? Um, so before when I described that God was uh, pursuing me, um, it was a physical feeling that I had inside, a, a pressure on my chest, pressure basically the whole upper body area. And um, I just remember being in the garage and, um, Growing up, like she said, we were in a fundamentalist church and, and, and even just in other churches, I've heard the stories of people saying, you know, that they fell on their knees, were crying and felt, you know, the chains being lifted and stuff. And even, you know, I sang the, the songs and stuff, but it, it just was all, you know, honestly, I thought, oh, that's nice, but whatever. Um, and when I sang the songs, it just said the words. It, it didn't mean anything. So, but at that moment when I did decide to just give up um, and uh, just ask God to take over, um, it was that way for me. Um, I literally fell to my knees, literally was crying, and um, I did feel that sense of just the relief, like the chains literally were gone. I truly felt that. And I also felt like there was a blinder that was on my eyes 
and that blinder was gone at that moment. And um, again, I, at that moment, I, I realized I needed to tell Misty everything. And, um, and at that moment, I didn't realize that that was actually my salvation moment. Um, Did you I realize it was your, also your sex addiction, that that's what you had? That no, that's what you're no, dealing I, with? I, I didn't realize that I was addicted at that point. I, right. I, I saw the, just the filth, just that how bad I had gotten, basically. Mm -hmm. But um, I didn't realize that it was an actual addiction. And I remember you telling me you also saw clearly how it affected me and the kids. Yeah. Even though we didn't cognitively know, you still saw the damaging effects it had on your family. Yeah. Yeah, that's powerful. Okay, so, um, so of course, then Jim told me Saturday before Easter. And it was a very long, horrible night. Um, I self-harmed. Uh, when he initially told me, I don't remember really the state I was in because that was the instant. That was the instant we called D-Day in Betrayal, Trauma, and Sex Addiction Recovery. D-Day stands for Disclosure Day or Discovery Day. It doesn't matter. It's still D-Day. Now, five and a half years out of that, I like to call it my day of awakening because I've been able to go through healing and reframe that day for me. And Jim has been able to do the same. So it was his day of awakening as well. And I was not at all planning on staying in the marriage. That was not my, because I, what, what betrayal does is any unaddressed trauma that's in your body that has not been resolved, all comes to the surface. So I had father wounds. I had other men who had hurt me. All of that came out in that moment, and it was like I was emotional vomit. Now, women will say, I'm crazy, I f but it's, you feel that way, but you're not crazy. You're traumatized. That's trauma, and we're going to define that here in a little bit. But I, I just know that it, it caused this extreme reactivity inside of me. I became physically abusive towards him. I hit him. I physically hit him. Um, I screamed. I cried. I yelled. I got in my car and didn't tell the family and drove straight to the affair partner and like begged her for every ounce of information because I didn't trust anything out of his mouth. I decided I hated all men. They're all a bunch of scumbags, right? And I had to go through the work and now I can look at you and say, I have so much compassion for my brothers because I see what God can do when he gets a hold of somebody's heart. But that night was literally awful for us. I, I just, the entire night, we did not sleep. We were, I was on the living room floor. He was um, on, on a couch and he, we were both just sobbing. I mean, just weeping. Weeping, 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 convulsing. Um, I ripped out my hair. I, I think I tore my shirt. I, when we, here's the, here's the Enneagram 7 kicking in, the tenacity that we have for life. I still went to church Easter morning and was like, it's not going to get the best of me. I'm going to go and I'm going to have fun no matter what, right? And I remember during worship looking down at my arms and seeing marks on my skin from myself of just grabbing my body that whole night before. And when we were in the church service Easter morning of 2017, I, I could sense this just release from him. He did not tell me about his garage experience. 
All I knew at that point was what I knew and the questions I'd asked related to the, the sex and the porn. That's really all I knew. Still did not have the addiction part of it yet, right? And so um, we're standing there and I'm feeling like H-E-L-L and we're singing and all of a sudden my Enneagram one conservative, very tight-laced husband throws his arms up in worship and I was like, oh my word, he got saved. I just knew it. <laughs> Nobody had to tell me, but do you think that he was met with a wife that was like, oh, I'm so happy. I was P.O.'d. I was so mad because while he got to experience his resurrection Sunday, I felt like I was stuck on the cross and I was bearing the weight of not only my stuff, but his too now. That all goes on the spouse because you're just now coming aware of what has been happening. Now, I will tell you right now, my body was aware. So if you are looking at porn and you think your loved one, your partner in life is not aware, you're wrong. Because I always had that instinct that I ignored. And as recovery went through, I had to learn how to trust my intuition again. But we know. We know. And it affects our health. It affects our mental health. And we're going to get into that here in a little bit. So I don't want to give that all away. But, uh, but that is the beginning of recovery for us. So learning that he had become a Christian for the first time. He had a relationship with the Lord. And me just spiraling. Feeling like in my book I describe it as I felt like Gandalf the Grey. When he's fighting Balrog and he says, Thou shalt not pass. Any Lord of the Rings. Okay, good. I'm like, am I the only one? Um, but you know when they fall into the abyss and he's battling it out with this fiery monster, but he has nothing to grasp? That's how I felt emotionally. It felt just like that. So we're going to transition now into why we're here, right? We want to teach you and educate you, equip and empower you to to learn how to live in the freedom that Christ, he has set us free. That last song, I lost my breath. I was over there dancing so much. I was just like, yes, we are made to fly. See my butterfly? There's a reason why I wore this today. Because the struggle is that metamorphosis part. When you're, we had to separate and get into our own cocoon and work out before we could stretch our wings and come back together. That's what recovery is really supposed to look like. And a lot of times people rush couples into marriage counseling. That's not going to work. It's not a marriage problem. It's an addiction problem. So you have to separate before coming together. Um, so let's go ahead and get into our slides. So um, I'm just going to challenge us collectively as a group to do a couple things before we start. One, enter gentleness and humility. Jim has a quiet resolve. I don't know if you can feel that, even from where you are, but he is very strong inside this gentle, sweet, calm spirit. He's a warrior. Because you can't go through five and a half years of recovery and then stand in front of a bunch, sit in front of a bunch of people and share that and not be a brave warrior for Christ. And I want to publicly esteem him. Yes. 
that gentleness and humility is the antidote to the, 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 the behaviors that accompany a sex addiction. So those behaviors mainly being, although there's a whole bunch, but entitlement, number one, harshness, self-righteousness, gaslighting, blame shifting, I could go on, right? So when he entered gentleness and humility, those things began to disappear. Um, the next thing I want us to do is to explore natural curiosity. You may have two opposing beliefs inside your brain while we're talking, right? Natural curiosity is maturity. It takes maturity. It's being able to say, okay, I'm going to come uh, look from the other person's perspective and just be open like Marta asked you to do. And then I want you to embrace self-awareness. This is your time to look inward and reflect, um, I love how uh, the, Jesus asked the man af outside the, the, the well, well Bethesda, Bethesda yeah. when he said, do you want to be well? And that's what we're asking you today. Do you want to be well? If you do, you have to let go of the marriage. We let go of our marriage. We were in a quest to save ourselves individually. And that was the key because when we did come back together to work on the marriage, we were two whole people. We were different people. So we were more mature, we could communicate, we could have that natural curiosity, right? There was space for forgiveness, reconciliation, but both parties have to get their stuff together first before you do that. So we're going to be focusing on Galatians 5. We will not get very far today. Today is more just you learning about us and that's telling you, but next week we will just go over anything that we've, we haven't covered today, but Galatians 5. Galatians 5. Now, you all know the fruits of the Spirit, right? That's the latter part of that chapter. So let's just say them out loud together. What are they? Love, joy, peace, patience, <laughs> Okay, very good. Now, that last one is what I want to highlight. What was the last one? Okay, so this verse says, live by the Spirit and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, the new, the like NIV footnotes, I know that they describe flesh as just being your sinful nature. But what, if you do some digging into this, and I encourage you to do that on your own, flesh is actually in this context, it's even beyond that. It's almost like an animal instinct. That's that entitlement. Um, I hear teens use this all the time. And then they start fishing to figure out how to feed that. When they like, I feel horny. That's a very popular word that is being floated around our teenage culture. And then they just start saying, who's going who's gonna to get the bait? Is that self-control? No, that is not. That is, that is at war against the Holy Spirit, right? So this isn't just like when it talks about the flesh in this passage, we're not just talking about I got up and was cranky with the kids. This is going beyond that. This is the complete lack of self-control. So we're getting more into the addiction side of things. Um, so we're, what we're going to do is real quick go through a few foundational vocabulary words to make sure we're all on the same page. So let's go ahead and flip to the next slide. So the first thing, what is sex addiction? And sex addiction is, do you see it? Okay. Oh, there it goes. It wasn't changing on my side. The active use of a sexual behavior in a compulsive, life-destroying pattern. Everyone say pattern. Everyone say cycle. cycle. That's what you're looking for to know if you're a sex addict. 
It's that return back to it. It does not matter, and feel free to pipe in, it does not matter how long elapses between that pattern. So you could be a binger, right? You could do once a year, but what's, what is this? This is a cycle or a pattern. That's what you're looking for. And a lot of people think, well, I just look at it once a year and I'm fine and that's really, so I don't have an addiction. But that's not really the accurate definition. So the behaviors of a sex addiction can include, but is not limited to, so you have masturbation, porn, fetishes, fantasies. I'm gonna add in objectification because that is a behavior. Your thoughts are a behavior. So what's happening in here could also be a sex addiction. It's any unwanted sexual behavior with self or others. So this includes online chat rooms. This includes social media and just flipping through, looking for all the hot babes you can find, right? Could look a lot of different ways. Next slide. Fantasizing. Fantasizing is an imagined space where a sex addict can escape to avoid reality. This is a big, big part of sex addiction. And a lot of times people think, well, I'm not looking at porn, so I'm not a sex addict. But it's so much more than that. So it's what's going on in here. Next slide. Can, can I say something with that? Yeah. I mean, just, just looking at porn in general is fantasizing but you don't need porn to act out and to um, get the same hit as you. Yeah. So, so just limiting it to porn isn't complete. Yeah. So that brings us to the next one, lust. So in Christian circles, in my opinion, at least the circles I've been in, I think that they confuse lust with natural attraction because we can see um, a good-looking person. For me, it's Thor. <laughs> I had to say it. I had to say it. Um, it's a joke in our family. Um, so you can look at a well-made body and admire and appreciate it. It's what you do, and that's natural attraction. There's nothing sinful about that. And I think that a lot of even very well-known Christian authors are confusing that term as well. And so we're trying to really expose that and separate those words out. But lust is what you do with it after, right? When you walk away from seeing Thor, what are you going to do with it at 7 o'clock at night? Am I going to start dwelling on him, right? Is it gonna, am I going to start fantasizing and just going down a trail? That is where you're crossing the line. That's where you're crossing the line. Any other? I can't think of anything. Okay, and then the next slide. Objectification is so huge because a lot of even good recovery programs, they'll address the, 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 the behaviors, like the acting out, but they don't address this topic. This is so important because when you're trying to battle sex addiction, it's so important to get to the pain beneath the porn, the pain of why you need to dehumanize other people and why you're, why you're having to do that. So objectification is any activity that degrades other human beings to the status of an object. This includes porn, strip clubs, prostitution, sex with self, affairs, fantasizing, identifying people by body parts and appearance, rather than personality and strengths. And you can, I cited that for you. That's a lot. That's a lot. I know I've been guilty of that. I think everybody in here has at one time objectified another human being. 
The sad part is, is what we're, we're learning as we work with couples and, and individuals who are in recovery is how many, um, and let me just get into the gender real quick. We, like she said, we understand these gender roles can be reversed. We're just speaking to our main audience, right? And statistically, men are, have a higher statistic of being a sex addict and women being the ones who have been betrayed, right? But what, we're, what we hear is such sad stories of husbands saying, we're not a sex addict, we don't look at porn, but their wife becomes their porn star. Their wife becomes where they act out their objectification and their fantasies. And that's heartbreaking to us because that is not God's design for healthy sexuality. Okay, so porn. Let's go to the next slide. Yeah, I see the time. Um, Don't give me a mic. Um, Okay. That's right. Uh, And we'll wrap it up here real quick. But porn is subjective to the consumer, so it's any material, written or visual, used to arouse your sexual appetite. So do you see how we've expanded that out? Any material, social media, a picture that you're using to spiral you down. Okay, next one. Addiction is what? It's a? A cycle. So there's, I list out like what you're doing inside that cycle. There's preoccupation, there's ritualization, there's the acting out, and then there's that feeling of shame after. So I'm not going to get all into that right now because I have to kind of keep this moving so we can get at least the end of this section. So go ahead and go to the next slide. And let me just real quick, we talked about addict mode behaviors. So even when I didn't know Jim was addicted to porn, I did see all the behaviors that you're going to just see listed on there. And his behaviors escalated over time. So if you're a spouse and you're wondering, this is kind of your like, okay, yes, I've seen that. This is your way to kind of self-check that. Next one, sobriety versus recovery, and I'm almost done. Sobriety versus recovery. Is it okay? Yeah. I think that's super important. Okay. Like, do you mind? Yeah. Like, maybe yeah. people didn't have enough time to read that. Okay. Can no, we I'm, go back? I don't want to, but <laughs> 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 I mean... Maybe okay. I so here's the behaviors: um, lying. Poor sex addicts are master liars. Master liars. That's 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 why I love that last song about stepping into the light. And that's what we're doing. Everything's out. Everything's out. Jim even takes polygraphs for me because everything's out. That's an accountability. This isn't something we've done on our own. It was recommended by professionals. That is a standard protocol for sex addicts because it is so, I'm sorry, I just had a thought, the circle of trust. I just am laughing because I'm, all I can picture is the guy with all the, and meet the parents. Okay, sorry, Enneagram 7 and ADHD, I'm sorry. Um, Okay, Uh, but yes, so he, he, like, that's a standard protocol because of the lying. The manipulation, the gaslighting, oh my word. We get in an argument and we were never yellers, we were more stonewallers. So that was also something I'm like, didn't realize how emotionally intimate dysfunction we were because we were stonewallers, we weren't yellers. But uh, I would walk away and be like, maybe it is my fault, you know? So anyway, inability to cope with stress, driving recklessly, that's actually a very common. Thing for sex addicts, they are they get road rage really quick, 
um, angry, they can't control their anger. It's that lack of self-control. And uh, so now can I go on? Yeah, yeah, I just yeah. wanted, yeah, okay. sorry. I probably help? shouldn't have done that. No, you're fine, it's great. Sobriety versus recovery are two different things. Sobriety will include relapse because you're not getting to the whys. You're only addressing the surface. Recovery is what we want to teach you next week, what that looks like. And that's getting into the, the pain that you're trying to escape. Looking and dehumanizing other people is because there's something underneath that you may not even be aware of. And then last, we're just gonna talk about betrayal trauma because this is a big one that I just, this is the only time I'm gonna be able to talk about it. You can get my book if you want to read about it um, or we can come back. But uh, th this is a very oversimplified definition of violations of a per person's trust over time. But I just need to tell you what actually happens in her brain when, you, when there's D-Day. Right? And some of this is already occurring in the attic mode behaviors. It's already happening. So your prefrontal cortex in the brain goes offline. That's your thinking rational brain. So this is what happened to me when Jim's like, I've had a fair, I've had porn. I'm like, ah! right? Um, number two, because of this shutdown, your brain goes into survival mode. And the window of tolerance becomes very narrow because you can't, you have no capacity to handle any more stress because the, your brain is actually changed inside. Your adrenals go into overdrive. So now you're releasing all these stress hormones over long periods of time. Because again, this has happened before even D-Day. So your nervous system has become hijacked. Your stress hormones have taken over and everything becomes a threat. So I call that hypervigilance. Right? So we'd go to the Royals game, and all of a sudden, every single female I saw was a threat to me personally. Right? I just felt so, uh, the comparison game, it just exponential. But also, I became hypervigilant over his sobriety and his recovery. It's just like you're just in a constant state of threat. Um, you feel crazy, but you're not crazy. I said that because you've experienced trauma, but we call that in betrayal trauma complex PTSD. PTSD, some of you have probably experienced, and I'm sorry for that. That's usually an isolated event, right? Complex PTSD is when you've experienced trauma, even little, it's death by a thousand cuts over a long stretch of time. Now, you may think, oh, but she, you didn't know, right? But I told you I knew. There was one time we were leaving our house and a dead possum was crawling, barely alive. He must have gotten hit by a car but hadn't died all the way. And I asked Jim, Jim to take care of it, right? I'm like, because I had to go to work. I'm like, Jim, can you come take care of this poor possum? And he, we don't like to see animals suffer. So I knew he would just do the, you know, kill it. But what I didn't know is how. And I remember looking in my rearview mirror to back up, and I saw him with a baseball bat killing this possum, right? And he is so gentle, like, won't even, he catch and releases fish, because he's like, their eyes are always like, don't kill me. So I'm like, what in the heck is going on? And I get out of the car, and he had covered it up with a trash bag. So he didn't have to see the possum and the possum, and he killed it. But I'm like, that is the, how the spouses of betrayal feel. We don't necessarily see what's happening, but we feel it 
All those years, we feel it. That creates a cascade of things that can happen in our bodies. We can have intrusive thoughts and flashbacks, nightmares, avoidance of reminders of the event, memory loss, negative thoughts about ourselves and the world around us, isolation, we fight isolation, anger, irritability, depression, anxiety, um, no longer interested in doing things we enjoy, foggy brain, insomnia, numb feeling, and then feeling everything all in the same tent minutes, easily startled, reactive addiction, revenge sex. I had thoughts of it. I'm not proud of that. But I was like, I want him to hurt the way I hurt. So I had to work through that vindictiveness, right? That was the forgiveness process that I had to go through. Um, And we have all sorts of physical ailments. If you talk to the women in my BTR group, my betrayal trauma recovery group, we're talking headaches, autoimmune, chronic pain. I had a heart attack with no heart disease. It's probably broken heart syndrome, a form of it. Um, So the stress hormones can be really, really really severe. So the two things that you focus on in recovery is she has to retrain her brain. She has to retrain her brain. So she has to stop the association. When Jim would hold my hand, and I'm like, great, he wants sex later. I was associating a non-sexual touch because in our old marriage, that's what he would do. He would groom. He would do things. He would try to, rather than just having like open, honest, emotional, intimate conversations and really knowing each other. So I had to retrain my brain. He had to rewire his. And we're going to talk about that next week about what the addict brain does because it's like a substance abuse. It's no different. And I know we have to stop. Yeah, yeah. should we jump to maybe 14? Just didn't yes. say why we're... So we had, we had a lot more to say, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we had to skip a lot. And um, so it, do you think that is a good idea? Yeah, I think okay. that's so, great. Basically, we just want to know, you know, what we want you to know today. Like, why are we here? What is something that we want you to hear from us? And basically, um, I, men, I just, I can feel you because that's what I was. I remember sitting out there like, like you guys are right now and feeling this amazing, like, nervousness that, Misty would find out whenever I there was a, a sermon or something about um, sex or you know porn or anything like that I got super nervous that I would give some kind of a tell that she'd be able to tell that I was an addict and I remember just mentally thinking to myself am I giving anything away and so I don't know if any of you are feeling that right now but I know what that feeling is like um, and I want you to know that that last song that we sang today amazing um, that when you are living in the light and not hidden, um, it's an amazing freedom. You can, be, you can have peace with God, with, with your wife, with yourself, with others. And it is the most amazing, amazing feeling inside. But it won't necessarily save the marriage. No, it won't. It, when you, right, that's correct. It's but, a risk. But you'll have but, a fulfilling, like, it, just life will be just so much more fulfilling. You'll have a peace that just passes all understanding. So the peace outweighed the risk is mm-hmm. what they need to take away. Yeah. Um, also, just real quick, is even, even if um, you, you are um, in recovery, you still are going to be tempted. I mean, we're still, you know, we're still fighting that, that flesh. And um, just to know that um, the way, one thing that I've used to kind of help get through um, going back to that is remembering where I was and that feeling that um, 
that feeling of hiddenness, the feeling of just shame and grossness. And now the feeling of being in the light is just so amazing, so much better. Um, and that also that it is possible. Um, I I'm, don't know if some of you, if guys or girls, have tried to stop and yet you fail once again. Um, it is possible not to. Um, it is possible to be free from this because we have the Holy Spirit inside to um, give us that power to do so. Yeah. We just need to tap into that and trust him to give us that power not to do it on our own. Power to face what it takes to live in recovery over. Like, it's hard work. It requires effort. So it's not a magic potion to just confess and repent. Then you have to turn away and walk away from it, and that are the steps that you're taking to never go back. Just wanted to add that in there. Um, So one last question, Hmm. just to give everybody a little hope. Is sex better today than it was six years ago? It is. It's so much better, and and not necessarily the, the physical, which it is, but it's it's fulfilling. It's it's the all-encompassing, um, like the emotional, the spiritual. Like it's just a whole fulfilling feeling. Where when when you're doing it for porn and, and pure selfishness, it makes you want more. It makes you just shallow afterwards. And um, so it increases your appetite, but it doesn't increase your satisfaction. Yeah. And we'll talk about that next week. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. Okay, that's a lot. Um, Thanks, guys. One of the things that I wanted to kind of bring us back to is um, communion. If if you were in my class today and you want to serve today, go ahead and come forward and um, prepare for communion. I know that there are a lot of brains that have been just hijacked right now, and that was a lot of information. If you've been through any kind of trauma, I mean, not just this kind of trauma, but any kind of trauma... Um, you probably are a little overwhelmed right now. So as we go into communion, we're going just to have a time of reflection, and Katrina's going to sing us out with a song. So don't feel like you got to jump up and you know take your communion and and sit down. Uh, have a moment with the Lord and um, be in your body. Our bodies are good. Sex was good. Is good. It's made by God. And as everything, we tend to take something that was good and given to us and take it to the nth degree. And so let, let the grace of God and his message wash over you for a second. Take a notice of how you're feeling in your body right now and in your brain. Give yourself a minute to think and to reflect and pray. And then come forward when you're ready. <laughs>